0: Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. uh, Second week, John 13. Uh, Last time, we just got to really look at the contrast that the Bible gives between the world's version of leadership and God's version. The world's version is one where it says the Gentiles lord it over those they lead. Um, They exercise authority over them in a domineering way. But Jesus says, not so with you. He's, He's holding out a different way in which we can conduct ourselves in this world, in which we can lead, use our authority and influence. And so I'm especially excited about this morning, uh, just this passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and the lesson that follows and what this means for us. So I think it's going to be a good word. But let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, man, we thank you for who you are. You are an incredibly good God to us. Whether we feel that right now or not, you are such a good God us you have done for us things we could never do for ourselves for those of us in Christ you have saved us and cleansed us and brought us here not just to church but just in you you've united us with yourself and you're calling to so many of us you're calling for us to return home for the first time or for the hundredth time to just see where life can be found which is in you And Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that we've gotten the chance to sing to you, to commune with the saints just for a second. Like, we thank you for these things. And we just want to come now as we get a chance to look at the word of God and just ask for you to do what you always want to do, which is speak to us. Speak to us, God. We want a word. I want a word. I want one from the scriptures because they're the only thing that's trustworthy and true. We want to see what you have to reveal to us because we know you want to reveal things to us. We know you tell us the word doesn't return void. And so we want to anticipate the truth of your word and we want to change. I want to change. I want our minds to change and our hearts to change and the way we conduct ourselves in this world to change. We want all that to change as, because of the grace you've poured out on us that demands change because it does it itself. You're a good God, and we're thankful for the chance to look at your word. All God's kids said, amen. John 13. If you've got a Bible, you can open to it. We're going to have it on the screen for you as well. It says this, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour, everybody say hour, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Listen, when the gospel writer John uses the word hour, you got to pay attention because it's important. He used it three times. The first three times he uses it, once he uses it, and Jesus is saying, my hour has not yet come, and he says it to his mom because his mom's trying to get him to help at this wedding. Two other times, it's, The context is that people weren't allowed to lay their hands on him, and again it says because his hour had not yet come. And then in chapter 12, we get more insight into what he means by the word hour because it says that the hour had come for him to be glorified. And if we're left wondering what that word means, hour, we get it explicit in chapter 13 of John's gospel because it says Jesus knew that the hour, everybody say hour, had come for him to leave this world and go to the father when john uses the word hour it is talking about the impending death of our messiah his crucifixion so what does it want us to know it's calling us that jesus knew his hour had come so in jesus's mind was his hour you can kind of think about uh, someone going to the doctor and finding out that they only have a few weeks or months to live, and sometimes the doctor might say something like this: "All right, we'll get your affairs in order." What does it mean to get your affairs in order? What does it mean to get your affairs in order? Your death is coming, so get your affairs in order. Make sure your Actions and behaviors are aligned with your values. Make sure you're spending time with the people whom you believe is, are most important to you or doing the things that are most important. In some ways, we get a window into what Jesus views is most important in John chapter 13 because Jesus knew his hour had come. His death was impending. But not only was death in his mind, but get this family, love was in his heart. This is how you know it. The hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That to the end idea is either to the end of his life or as much as possible. So with death in his mind and love in his heart, we get a picture into what Jesus says is most important. Or Jesus, how he lives it, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So hold that in your mind. We're going to get back to that later. But the idea is this, is that there is a betrayer amongst the disciples right now. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So not only is death in his mind and love in his heart, but he's like, hey, there's something else in his mind. Jesus is fully, it's letting us know, is fully aware of how powerful he is. He's fully aware that all power is underneath his feet. He is very aware. He has come from the Father, and that's who he's going back to. The way that, that Hebrews 1 will say it is this, is the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things with his powerful word, that he provides purification for man's sins. Colossians 1 says it like this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that all things were created through him and for him. And the idea that John's trying to get into our mind right now is Jesus is fully aware of how powerful he is. He's fully aware of what kind of authority he has. Like on the precipice of the end of his life, Jesus is like, what does it say? It says he knew that the Father had put all things Under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God he's in the same essence of God for he is God and that's where he's gonna go back to one commentator said this let me read you this this quote from D.A. Carson it says with such power and status at his disposal we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine wrath I mean you hear the context right it's like Jesus is all-powerful. He's from God. He's returning to God. And so, like, we're reading along as we're following. We might think, what's this powerful guy going to do? Like, how is he going to assert his authority and dominion over this world? And then we get verse 4. Look at it. What does verse 4 say? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Isn't our God incredible? From that place of power, what does he do? From that place of position and authority, what's he do next? He washes the disciples' feet. Family, family. Like, in ancient times in the first century, washing feet, that was not no cleanly activity, right? Like, we're not talking about well-manicured, Air Force One-wearing kind of dudes, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the kind of feet he's washing, like in the first century, they walked on dusty roads and that dust was pulled up from travelers. And so their feet, when they were, wearing, they were wearing sandals, they got dirty. And not only that, but animals' dung was on the roads everywhere because donkeys and horses and things like this would be going. And so what do we see right here in this moment? This is what we see. We see that the God who, whose hands flung stars into outer space is now using the same hands to wash the dust off of his disciples' feet and clean the dung off of them and then taking a towel, gently drying them. Is that not incredible? Is that not crazy that we see what's happening right here? That the God of the universe would choose from this place of authority to get down on his knees and wash the disciples' feet. That's what he's doing. Getting up, he took his clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin, and he began to wash these feet. Listen, let's, let's see what continues to happen. Verse 6, look with me. So he washes, he starts to wash their feet. He comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He's like, you don't get what all this means, but it means a lot. And for some of you, we grew up in the church, and we kind of hear this story, and like, oh, that's a sweet story. You know what I'm saying? But here, there's some beauty, and there's some power to it. He says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And then what does Peter say? Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. You got to love Peter. You got to love Peter. He's like, nah uh Like, you ain't doing this. Like, no way. Why does Peter object? Why is he kind of offended by this moment where Jesus was trying to wash his feet? because he has some sense, albeit imperfect, but he has some sense that Jesus is in a place of authority, and he's like, you can't wash my feet. You, you are the master. You are the Lord. You are the teacher. You are higher than me. You can't come down below me and wash me. He's like, that would be inappropriate. He's almost offended in some way by the moment. I read one commentary just on feet washing in that time period, and it said that, it was a debate amongst first century Jews as to if they should allow Jewish servants to wash feet because of how low the act was. They're like, we shouldn't let our own race and our own kind do it. We should actually only, only allow or make Gentiles other nations do it because of how low this act was. Occasionally, Maybe a peer would wash another peer's feet just to show an incredible gesture of love. But here what we get is the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, getting on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. So Peter's like, "Nah, this don't make any sense. Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And how does Jesus respond to this? Peter responds, or sorry, Jesus responds, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands as well. My head and my hands as well. You love know this, right? Like, so Peter, he's zealous, but he's also teachable. In a sentence, he goes from never wash my feet to give me a bath, Jesus. Give me a bath, Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus says, if, I, if you're not going to let me wash you, then you ain't with me. There's something about the washing and the connection to Jesus. And so when Peter realizes that, he says, okay, like, go ahead, let's do this thing. That's the story. We're, it, contextually, here's kind of what we get. We get the context initially. We get the washing. We get Peter's objection to the washing. And then we're going to get the lesson. And that's what we're going to go into. Some of you are familiar with this story, and some of you not. Either way, it's okay. But here's my hope, and here's my prayer for this time, truthfully, is that we would see the, way, see the description, the reason that Jesus is doing this. And he tells it to us explicitly. So he does this act, but he says this act is not just to be something you're left to kind of figure out yourself, but I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this. And there's three big points, I think, that have everything to do with leadership and authority and have everything to do with why Jesus is doing this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you at the front end, okay? I'm just going to walk through them, and we see it in the lesson. But the first is this, is that this foot washing is not merely physical, but it's spiritual to show us a saving cleansing, this washing is not merely physical, but it's, all, it's, it's, it's spiritual to show us about a saving a cleansing. The second thing is this, is that Jesus, and so we should too, uses his position for its purpose, which is service. Jesus uses his position for its purpose, which is service. And the third thing is this, is that serving is a blessing. I'm looking forward to telling you about that one. All right, so let's go. Verse 10, he describes what's happening right here. So, again, where are we? We are where Peter said, don't do it. Then Jesus said, you can't be with me if I don't. And he said, all right, give me a bath. And Jesus responds in verse 10, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. So do you see the pivot? Do you see, do you see it in the text? It says those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You were clean, talking to Peter, but not every one of you, why for he knew who was going to betray him and that is why he said not everyone was clean in other words there is somebody who is not clean he says you are clean but there's somebody who's not clean so clearly he's not talking about a a purely physical cleansing right he's not going peter you bathed today judas he didn't bathe you know what i'm saying he's not like peter you know like today I, i know you took a bath but somebody smells really bad no, he's pivoting from talking about merely a physical cleansing to say that this is to illustrate something deeper. It's actually to, to point you to a spiritual cleansing. If you remember earlier in the text, what did he say? You don't understand this now, but you will understand it later. You remember him saying that? He said, Peter, you don't understand it now, you will understand it later. What's later? Later's the cross, and which is going to be the lens to understand the now the now is the foot washing. So the foot washing is actually this physical illustration that's intended to cast their minds to the cross. Why? Because as much as, as, much as washing their disciples' feet is like shocking and confusing, their Messiah dying on the cross will be that much more astounding. As much as they don't understand how God could use his authority to get low and wash their feet, they're going to be even more astounded astounded that that God would use his authority to die on the cross to wash their souls. You think about, like, how we deal with authority, right? And I was thinking about, um, you see it in movies, but like back in the day or maybe in some cultures, like the the king or whoever, a queen will extend their hand like this, and then what do you do? Y'all ain't seen no movies. Like, you, you come up and you kiss it. Why, why, would you, why would you do that? Respect. But ultimately, the origin of that behavior has its root in this idea is that you're coming low, and by kissing the ring, which is their symbol of authority, you're saying you're submitting to them. You're saying they have a place over you and you'll do what they say and you'll come under them. And it was a sign of their authority over you and your willing submission to them. Jesus gives us a different sign. Jesus, through the sign of foot washing, is not saying that an authority will domineer their subjects, but that authority will use that position to serve their servants. That Jesus himself uses this position to get low and says, I want you to know that the way in which you get cleansed in this world is not through you cleaning yourself, but it's someone outside of you who's stronger than you, who's more powerful than us, who would come for us to cleanse us. We don't get clean through us cleaning ourselves or us having a bunch of servants. We get clean through the God of the universe coming down to cleanse us. We get clean through God saying, I'm going to clean you. This is beautiful. Like, this is, this is when you start to see the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God that, that are cleansing. And, and that's why he, he tells, what's he tell Peter? He's like, i got to wash you. Like, like, I have to. Like, this is what this is. Jesus has to wash us. That's the only way it works. We don't get clean any other way. There's no cleansing through our own behavior. There's no, we don't have the right water. We don't have the right tools. Only, cleansing only comes through Jesus washing us, only through him. Again, do you feel that backwards nature of the king of the universe doing that for us? And that's why you hear even the things he said over time, right? Like, like if you want to save your life, you have to do what? You have to lose it. Who would follow me would deny themselves, take up their cross to follow me. That there's a death in it. Like we 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 win in the kingdom of God by giving up, letting go, extending our hands to God. Like like he himself poured out his his divine rights in a sense in order to save us. Like what else does it say? It says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to say I've come not for the righteous, but the sinners. We get clean when we acknowledge we're dirty and we need a Savior to cleanse us. A couple things I want to say about this to us. For some of us, we've never truly embraced the fact that we are dirty and we need a cleansing. Like, we've never come to the end to recognize, like, listen, I am not, there is nothing good in me. Like, like it's just not we haven't got to the place where we're like, hey, that, that's what it is. And, and so part of this is to recognize if, we are, if we're out here on these streets trying to live for ourselves and trying to get to God or, or get to success or get to joy through our own efforts, striving, putting the time in, it's never going to work. We have to give up and let him get on his knees to cleanse us. But some of us, we know we're dirty and we just don't think that's what he wants to do. We just think maybe he can't or he wouldn't want to. And this text is to serve as a gracious reminder and comfort to us, to wake us up to the fact like the Lord of the universe got on his knees to clean those dirty disciples' feet, he wants to clean you too. Like he he wants to wash you clean from everything you've ever done, to pour it over you. That's what he wants to do. This act is for—it's it's pointing. Again, death is in his mind, right, family? He says, you won't know fully what I'm doing now. Not till the cross do we get the lens to see this right. Because on the cross, what does he do on the cross? He cleanses our souls. And he's saying, I want to take your sin there. But one of the interesting things about this, he says in verse 11, was well, in verse 10, Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. So again, Peter wants a bath. Jesus says, I just need to wash your feet. And then he says, you are clean. His point is that once you have been cleansed, it's once and done. Like, once I've saved you, I don't need to resave you. So this is good news for those of us who are in Christ, right? Like, it's not like we have to rededicate our life over and over again or be baptized over and over again so that he will save us. No, he says, Peter, I have already cleansed you. You already clean in me. Like, once I have saved you, it's once and done, and you're good. Now I'm just going to wash your feet a little bit. Again, John's the author of this. He also wrote the epistles, 1 John, right? And if you remember in 1 John chapter 1, it says this, says if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and there is this idea that he has cleansed us fully but to enter into relationship with him it is good to confess it is good to kind of not not get a whole like we get we're saved once and for all but it, it is good to kind of say hey jesus like like, I have fallen short, and I'm allowing this dirt to impede my relationship with you. And, and, and that's what he wants to do, is like continuously remind us through this sign that he wants to cleanse us. So this first thing is what the spiritual cleansing is, and it's kind of the heart of the text. But then he's really explicit about why he did the foot washing in verse 12. So I want you to see this. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes and return them to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If we were to think that this was just to be a thing Jesus did for us, he goes, nah, you do likewise. Jesus used his position for the purpose of service, and he tells us to do the same thing. Again, he, here, here's what's important to note about Jesus right here, is he uses his position for the purpose of service. Like he literally uses his authority for it he says you call me teacher and lord and he goes rightfully so that's what i am and we see twice in the text him using that authority to serve the first time is at the very beginning and at the very beginning what happens is it says from that place of power jesus knew the father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from god so he gets up from the meal and he washes their feet so from authority he serves but here's where you see it more explicitly it's when Jesus is washing the feet and he comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing. Peter says, no. Peter objects, and Jesus's response to Peter's objection is not like, okay, cool, man. You know what I'm saying? He's not like, you don't want me to do it? Okay, I don't want to like, dominate. I don't want to like, make you feel uncomfortable. It's not like, um, you know, Peter, like, uh, you know, I I don't want to, like, over-assert myself in this moment and use my position, and uh, no. No, what's he do? Peter's like, don't wash my feet. Jesus said, you ain't with me, then. Jesus expects Peter to submit to the washing. He asserts his authority to serve Peter. You feel what I'm saying? Jesus literally says, no, like, like, if you want to rock with me, then I'm going to wash you. Wash. I don't know why that came out like that. Like, if you're going to rock with me, like, then, then I'm going to wash you. That's what this is. That's how this works. He literally uses his positional authority to make sure that he serves the people underneath him. And this is, this is like the beauty and kind of heart of the gospel and the heart of this series. Jesus uses his authority to serve for its purpose. And so the big question to us is, is what position of authority, what influence do we have, what opportunity, and are we leveraging that for the purpose of service, which is its God-intended, it's its God-intended goal. And that's what, that's what Jesus does. He says literally, like, you can't be with me. You know, if you think about how many um, times when you hear about bosses and we think about illustrations, and so common we hear about illustrations of a boss doing something like, um, like, at the end of the day, you're in a, maybe you had a disagreement with a boss or something like this, and they go, hey, I'm the boss, so this is just what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in charge, so we're going to go with what I say. I, like, that's how the world does it. Do you hear how Jesus is doing it? And I hope you see in that Jesus goes, I'm the Lord and teacher, so I'm gonna serve you. It would be like going, no, 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 I'm the boss. So I'm gonna make sure you get days off. Because that's what's good for you. One, one, of, oh, one of our businessmen in the church is like during COVID, he's like, he's like, I'm the boss. So he got paid, he during that time period when hardship was happening in his company. He took a pay cut so that he could pay his employees more. I, with my authority, will actually leverage my authority in order to serve. He doesn't, he doesn't throw out the title. He doesn't say authority is bad. He doesn't say I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Lord. Instead, he goes, I'm going to instead use my influence my authority and my position for the purpose of serving. So here's the question for us, right, family? What position, what influence do we have, and are we using it for its God-intended purpose, which is service? Like, there's something for us all to think about, right? Like, what position do you have? Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your home. What, what about relational authority? Do you have any relational authority or spiritual authority? It can be a position in the church or just spiritual knowledge in your neighborhood. Like, like are, you, you, are we using those things for its God-intended purpose, which is to serve? But here's, here's the thing that's even crazier about this text, in my opinion. And, and I think this hits at the heart of why many of us struggle to serve. Is because who is amongst the disciples right now? Who did the, t- the text told us, right? Judas. It told us two times. at the beginning, it called our mind to the fact that Judas was there. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And then again, when he's washing the feet, he said, "Hey, don't forget, Judas is there." And then after our text, it's going to talk about all about the betrayal. It's getting our, our mind around the whole time that Judas, Judas is there. So guess what Jesus did? Jesus washed, washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer right before he was about to be betrayed. How many of us struggle to serve people because they're ungrateful? You see where I'm about to go? We're like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I gave them this great gift for their wedding, I didn't even get a thank you note in return. You know what I'm saying? Like, I gave this person a gift and they, just, they didn't even. How about this? Like, I've been laying it down. I've been serving, I'm serving, and no one is noticing. Jesus served Judas. Like, like Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer. That's the epitome of ungrateful, right? (laughs) Like, like so ungrateful he's about to go betray Jesus, sell him out for some money. Yet for many of us, we don't want to serve if we're not acknowledged, do we? We don't want to put the time in or leverage it for somebody who's ungrateful, who's not appreciative. Jesus is showing us a type of service that, that doesn't need anything from the people he serves. And if we, again, think about the text we're in, he doesn't need anything because he knows who he is. At the beginning, it said he knew that the Father had put all power under his authority, He knew he was from the Father. He knew he was going to go back to be with the Father. So he doesn't need anything from the people he serves. I think for many of us, myself included, one of the reasons we struggle to serve and actually use our authority to help other people is because we are so insecure and we need things from people that we're trying to serve. Chiefly their affirmation. And so for many of us, what we're motivated based on what this person will give us, I'll serve you if you give me the thank you that I want or need or just that I'm seen a little bit or just celebrated just a little bit. Like Jesus throws off all of that. And he washes the feet of Judas, his betrayer. It includes his enemies. It includes ours. Like, this idea of using our authority to be last in upside-down leadership, it, it includes the person whom you dislike. It includes the person who's harsh to you. It, it includes the person who annoys you. Like, it includes somebody who's ungrateful for you. It, it includes all people because, G, like, Jesus knows who he is, and we know who we are. That's what comes from it. So look again, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus first asserts his authority to serve the 12, and now he's asserting his authority over them so that the 12 would serve the world. Do you feel that? So he says, I've done this for you, now you go. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Again, he's saying, I have authority over you. You are not greater than me, so you must do likewise. So this is what's crazy about this this usage of authority in the text. Again, he used his authority to say, I'm going to wash your feet. And then he used his authority to say, you're going to do the same type of thing to this world. I am commissioning you to do likewise. I have set you an example. So this authority also extends through them to us to say, well, what does this mean? Well, when we know we've been washed by Jesus, it does something in us. It invokes in us. When we realize Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, we do likewise. And and this is the big kind of push from this text because of how much of the explanation is rooted here is, is to really make us consider how we're doing this. Like we all have influence. We talked about last week. We all have authority. How are we leveraging it and who for? How are we leveraging it and who for? And then he hits us with verse 17. He says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And this is what I love. He he talked about it again in, in the Matthew text we were in last week, when he said, kind of go do likewise or not so with you. And, and here, here we see it like he's commissioning them to go. And he's like, and and this is it's it's kind of crazy if you think about it, because Jesus, the Lord of the universe, just washed their feet, and then he's telling them to go serve other people. And then he says, and you will be blessed if you do them, if you do these things. Like this type of upside down backwards leadership where we're using our authority to be last and to serve other people, it says that there is an inerrant blessing associated with it. There's something attached to it that actually does good for the one who's doing it. Does that make sense? So we got this quote from John Newton, who is a hymn writer and an abolitionist I want to read, and I think this is so helpful. It says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. And there's something in us that happens when we realize we've been cleansed and washed by Jesus where we go, how joyous is it that I get to do likewise? How beautiful is it that I get to serve, that I get to share the gospel, that, that like, I get to use my authority and position to care for other people? How good is it for me to do it when I realize it's been done for me? You know, one thing I was thinking about, I was like, you know, if this was really true, if, like, if Christians, if we really believed this, no church would ever have a problem getting people to serve. Like, follow, follow, follow me for a second. Because the problem, or the problem would be different. The problem wouldn't be we, we have needs that we need people to fill. The problem would be we have so many people desiring to serve, we need to create more things for them to do. I don't know if you heard me. Because I'm saying, like, this this is what happens when it says you'll be blessed if you do them. And for many of us, like, I think our heart and this whole Christian thing of service is completely out of whack. This is not the only place it says it. If you look in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that although I am least deserving of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says that the preaching or the service is a grace given It's not intended to solely be a duty or an obligation, but it's intended to be something that is innately joyful. It is actually a grace God gives. To participate in the ministry of Jesus is a grace that God wants to give his kids. So when we're talking about that we get to serve and give our life and use our influence, we're talking about a grace that God wants to pour out on us. And so a question again to this is like if if it doesn't feel that way why not like if it's not feeling like if you're serving or you're you're doing this whether it's in the church or in the world and you're laying your life down and you feel bitter or frustrated or just exhausted it's like why because that's not what the bible says you should be feeling so What's happening in your heart, your command center that makes you feel embittered towards this end, that makes you dread it, that makes the idea of going, I'm going to give money to these people who are in need. I'm going to use my economic position to help those who need help. What, What makes you dread that? Because the Bible presents a completely opposite thing. Again, John Newton talking about it. Our pleasure and our duty. Pre-Christ are opposite. What we want and what God requires are not the same thing. But once we see the beauty of Jesus, they get joined. And they're never going to depart from each other again. Go back to our text. Banyan, come on up. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is about us receiving a blessing, family. This is about us receiving the grace of God. This is about us glorifying God and enjoying him forever in this world. So let me pray just that God would grant that to us. Father in heaven, we come before you And we come thankful and grateful that you are a God who would get down on your knees and wash our feet. That is so good that you would do that. And for many of us, myself, I can often just be dismissive of the fact as if that would be common stuff, that it could be normal for the God of the universe to lower yourself so much. And I just pray you would honestly cast away any kind of blindness or hardness of heart that any of us have in the room and you would start to awaken something fresh and new in us something that is so like where gratefulness wells up and overflows in us that we have a God who would die on our behalf and wash our feet I pray that would well up and I and I ask Jesus that that we would do likewise that we would see the the grace attached to service that's in you, that we would not leave this space without considering places and people whom you have preordained for us to serve, that every leader in this church would be a woman or a man who would use their position so that other people might love you and know you would use their position to pour out blessing and love and grace. And, and we would start leading different. And I just pray that for us in this room as we enter into the world, the way in which we conduct ourselves in this world, the way in which we talk to our boss when we go into work, the way in which we talk to the people who report to us, the way in which we care for patients, the way in which we mop floors, the way, the way in which we do all of that, that, that we would be so filled by the Holy Spirit that we would be so uh, consumed with the joy of Christ that we would serve in such a way that people would go, man, that's different. And we just get to point to you because you did it first and you did it best. So we thank you for who you are, Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.